Good afternoon. Welcome to the Eco News Report. This week, your hosts are Larry Glass and Bella Waters from the North Coast Environmental Center. The Eco News Report is an exclusive feature of KHSFU, brought to you by the North Coast Environmental Center, publisher of our regional environmental newspaper, Eco News. Don't forget you can find this show and other KHSU public affairs shows on the audio archives pages at khsu.org. Today, we'll be providing brief snippets of current news that pertain to various environmental topics, such as water, cannabis, children, animals, and forest. To start off in water and ocean news, we have our group, first up, Baykeeper. First up, we have our member group, Humble Baykeeper, who has filed a lawsuit over the clean water rule against the Army Corps of Engineers. Conservation groups today opened up yet another front in an ever-growing legal war over the Obama-era clean water rule and Trump's attempts to unravel it. Led by the Waterkeeper Alliance, the groups filed a lawsuit in the U.S. District Court of the Northern District of California challenging the Trump administration's decision to delay the rule by two years. They're also challenging the underlying joint EPA Army Corps of Engineers rule as being too weak. It's obvious that the EPA and the Corps are attempting to reduce or eliminate the Clean Water Act protections for the majority of our nation's water in violation of the most basic procedural and environmental laws, said Kelly Hunter Foster, a Waterkeeper Alliance senior attorney. These agencies should be working to protect the public and restore our nation's waters, not engaging in an elaborate multi-year plot to legalize more water pollution. Foster formerly led a now disbanded Environmental Protection Unit at the Oklahoma Attorney General's office. She left for Waterkeeper before EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt became the state's Attorney General. Joining with the Waterkeeper Alliance are the Center for Biological Diversity, Center for Food Safety, and Turtle Island Restoration Network, and a handful of local waterkeepers. So the Obama administration issued this clean water rule, also known as the Waters of the U.S., in 2015 in an attempt to clarify which wetlands and stream received automatic protection under the Clean Water Act. And there's nothing that the right-wingers hate more than the waters of the United States for some reason. That just makes their hair bristle, you know, when they they even mention that one. So hats off to Baykeeper for joining that one. All right. So the Lost Coast Outpost recently reported that under legal threat from feds, Van Dusen gravel miner charged with polluting and altering course of the river agrees to clean up the mess. They've agreed in principle to pay $10,000 in fines and conduct extensive remediation along a stretch of the river after federal agencies charged his operation with violations of the Clean Water Act, speaking of that, and the Endangered Species Act. So they've charged Jack Noble, whose gravel operations along the river have long been controversial, with dumping concrete, asphalt, rebar, trees, and vegetation, gravel, excavated soil, and other construction debris into the Van Dusen River and on its banks, all without a permit. They also charged that Noble used heavy equipment to build roads, levees, berms, and groins in the Van Dusen stream bed, altering its banks and the course of the river, again, with no permits. Now, as, as long as I've 
lived on the North Coast 40-something years, the, the gravel extraction operations have been problematic, and that name has certainly mm. been at the forefront of that. I remember Tim McKay back in the day always talking about Jack Noble. So Right, and according to the outpost, he says that under the terms of the consent decree and the government notes, Noble admits no wrongdoings in the matter. Of course not. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> nope. The outpost did try to reach Noble, but his voicemail was left unreturned. Wow. What else we got? Well, so we have an issue, again, with straws. Everybody knows what straws are. They say that because of June 5th was UN's World Environment Day, the theme is beet plastic pollution. Stirs and straws are the fifth most common type of debris picked up along the California coastline, according to a coastal cleanup. And because the NEC puts on Coastal Cleanup Day, we also find a large number of straws during our cleanups and are helping to promote plastic-free July. So communities nationwide are now attempting to use stronger means to limit Americans' sucking. So there's a number of cities, especially in Florida, that have banned single-use straws. And California is trying to pass a state bill that will prevent restaurants from offering straws to diners unless they specifically ask for them. So we're hoping that straws can go away. But in the meantime, until they are, there's a number of companies that are working on various type of reusable straws. Plus, there are paper straws. I was in a restaurant recently that offered us a stainless steel straw. I thought that was pretty oh. interesting. <laughs> oh, Fred, Fred holds up one. one. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So we have the technology. We've got, we've got the technology. We just need more people to embrace it. And that comes on the heels. A lot of people aren't aware of this, but the place that all of that plastic waste was getting shipped to, surprisingly, was China. Mm. And as of the first of the year, China said, we're not taking your plastic anymore. So who knows where all of that plastic waste is headed now. Right. And that leads us right into this story, which is the United Nations Development Program released an article early this month discussing the volume of plastics entering the ocean. This is just amazing when you when you hear this. Every year between 4.8 million and 12.7 million metric tons are being of plastic winding up in the ocean. We have got to stop using plastic and you know it's it's just amazing. Since the advent of plastics in the early 50s, humans have produced about 8 billion metric tons of plastic. The vast majority of it is still in existence in a sizable fraction, about 60%, either in landfills or in the environment, including the ocean. That's about one ton of plastic for every human being on Earth, or 10 pounds of plastic for every pound of human. Only about 9% of the plastic produced so far has been recycled, so we remain a long way from truly closing the loop on, on ocean's plastic pollution. And from scientists I've talked to, there's, it's really not possible to recycle all plastics anyways. There's a, apparently, while plastic looks like plastic to me, apparently there's all different kinds of chemical formulations that we call plastic. Mm -hmm. And some of them just don't 
lend themselves to being able to be recycled or reused in any way. So that's something we've really got to focus on as a as a species. Right. And I guess there's they're saying now by 2052, the amount of plastic in the ocean is going to outnumber fish. Yeah. So So next time you're at the store and they offer you a plastic bag Right. That you have to pay 25 cents for. Thank goodness for that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, don't take it. Right. Don't take it. And when you're at the river or the ocean, make sure you pick up all your little plastic pieces and have the kids make a game out of it. It's yeah. amazing the little microplastic you find all over the place when you start looking. And that's what happens to it as it breaks down. It begins to be smaller and smaller little particles. Mm-hmm. It's very, very upsetting. So we have some interesting news shifting gears a little bit here into the realm of cannabis. And in Trinity County, there's been quite a scandal sort of developing in Trinity County. A couple of weeks ago, the sheriff's office raided the planning department, went in and spent about three hours going through all their records. This took place after a a large bust had happened near Hayfork Summit in which the person that was raided was claimed to have a license, claimed to have a valid license. But according to the planning department, they didn't have a license. And so the sheriff's department wanted to see the evidence. Now, the claim is that certain high-up county officials, they've since now named the county CEO or CAO rather, and the county council Mm -hmm. as the parties who tried to change the records at the planning department to indicate that this person actually did have a license when he apparently wasn't even qualified. So there's also rumors that this is going to be turned over to the state attorney general to look at. But it, it follows on the heels of lots of of belief in Trinity County that the whole cannabis licensing system is corrupt over there. With the little people getting surprisingly, the little people getting screwed and the and only the big players getting getting their licenses. Mm-hmm. And clearly the other shoe in this little saga is due to drop sometime about the time this program airs, uh, we will probably know more about where this investigation has has led. Okay. But it's it's worth watching because apparently this this corruption, and we've seen an example of it here in Humboldt County, where we had a a building inspector arrested for accepting bribes. This is apparently happening in all the cannabis counties where the flow of money is so great that the temptation to bend the rules and and whatnot is is the temptation is high right right when it comes to money yeah so then we have another complaint that the nec and epic one of our member groups filed to the inspector general alleging that six rivers national forest is knowingly permitting the trespass of public land by private company mercer fraser so mercer fraser the construction company, is currently trespassing on Forest Service property through maintenance of a debris storage pile on Forest Service property near the Big Rock River access point on the Lower Trinity Ranger District. 
The Forest Service is aware of this ongoing trespass and is tactily permitting this trespass through inaction. The NEC and EPIC is asking that the violation be corrected. And Larry, do you know a little bit more about that? Well, just to bring the public up to speed, so our knowledge of this came up because of the controversy over Mercer Fraser's proposed hash lab on the Mad River right. at Glendale. And so as we begin to look into that, we were notified, hey, they're also planning a hash lab for out by Willow Creek, right near this school at Big Rock. So we started looking into that. And then we've, as we called up people, questioned people, talked to people, residents that live nearby, people start saying, oh, yeah, they're – They've got this big pile of debris on the National Forest. It's been there for as long as a lot of people can even remember. And apparently at some point in the past, they used to get a special use permit like any of the rest of us would have to do Mm -hmm. if we were using National Forest land for any special purpose like that. You have to get a permit and you have to renew it every year. I actually have a permit, a special use permit for transmission of water across federal land and I have to pay for that every year. Mm -hmm. I have to renew it. I have to make sure that I'm still obeying all the rules and whatnot. But apparently Mercer Frazier doesn't (laughs) have to play by those rules and they've just been doing it and monopolizing this piece of public land for a long time. I'm not going to name the Forest Service employee, but I have talked to a Forest Service employee who has been complaining about this for quite some time and has been met with just inaction and and nobody wants to. It's like a hot potato. Nobody wants to touch it. So sure. we're not just talking about a few rocks that you can go and take off. Oh, no. This yeah. is a huge pile. And it's now got old growth brush on the top Ooh. of the pile. It's been there so long that the brush that's growing on the pile is, is clearly, you know, old. Right. And so, you know, the trade-off has been, well, Mercer Fraser lets them land their helicopters in the event of an emergency on this little airstrip that that's on their property. But the Forest Service wouldn't need to do that if this big debris pile wasn't there. They could be landing right where the big debris pile. So it's a it's a mess, and it's time that that Mercer Fraser has to play by the rules, and it's time for the Forest Service to enforce the regulations that they would enforce on all of us. Right. Right. Yep. So that's the background on that one. Okay. And thanks once again to Tom Wheeler at Epic for helping spearhead this this complaint. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Epic, they just had a victory of sorts here with one of our favorite little critters, the Humboldt Martin. Look at Oh, he's so cute. <laughs> Too bad this isn't on TV <laughs> and you guys can't see the picture of these extremely cute and charismatic little critters, although I wouldn't want to tangle with no, one. No, <laughs> they look like <laughs> but, they'd be vicious, little gremlins. But, you know, the big news is that the Department of Fish and Wildlife has recommended listing of the Humboldt Martin as an endangered species under the California Endangered Species Act. This is a big, big victory for EPIC and for all of us that care about the wild. The next hurdle is that the California Fish and Game Commission appointed independent of the department, will have the final say on whether the species will be protected in its August 23rd meeting 
at the River Lodge Conference Center in Fortuna. So if you're an animal person, you care about charismatic little creatures in the forest, this is the opportunity for you to go and let this Fish and Game Commission know how you feel about these beautiful little mm-hmm. creatures that live in the forest. The Humboldt Martin. Humboldt Martin. Once again, thanks, Epic, for spearheading that one. Right. Speaking of other rare species, according to our friends up at KS Wild, the Medford District BLM has tried to balance timber production with the needs of wildlife by providing habitat buffers around rare species like the great gray owls when planning timber sales. But that balance has been thrown out the window, and now BLM is planning to remove up to 85% of forest canopy and occupied owl nesting sites. This proposed regeneration logging will also remove old growth forests and replace them with dense young tree plantations, a practice that the BLM acknowledges will increase fire hazard for up to 30 years. Regeneration, that's clear cutting, Mm -hmm. basically. That's fancy word. Euphemism for that. Right. And while the BLM may want to remove the forests around Howard Prairie, regardless of their wildlife and recreational values, the citizens do not need to let them do that, and you're being asked to contact Medford BLM District Manager if you want to voice your opinion on this by calling 541-618-2200 and ask her to protect and restore our public lands instead of ravaging them. 541-618-2200. So just to be fair, the California BLM is doing a pretty good job. We right. we get along. We work well with BLM both on the coast and inland at the Reading office. They're actually very easy to work with. But BLM in Oregon is a completely different animal, and they're, they remind me of the Forest Service back in the 1950s. You know, mm. get the cut out. We don't care about critters or... Right. You know, or the, the the forest ecosystem, we just got to get the cut out. Well, we all still care about great gray owls. So yeah. like keep the pressure on them for that. And speaking of other animal issues. Yeah. So, you know, this guy has been on the news in the past. It's It's sort of amazing that he's able – he's still running around free, but – this particular Arcata rancher, Raymond Christie, has been formally charged by the Humboldt County District Attorney's Office on 35 counts related to animal cruelty and neglect. Mm. And if you've ever driven by this piece of property, at, it's out on Landfear Road, is it? I, was, I thought it was on... Samoa, driving 255 out towards Manila. Okay. I mean, he. I think he owns quite a swath Right. Of it, I so think it could... abuts up against Lanfear and goes all the way to Samoa. Okay, But yep. it's a large piece of property. Anyways, you've ever driven by there, it is the poster child for how not to conduct animal husbandry. I mean, it is mm-hmm. just a mess. His animals are all starved looking and... And, you know, just look miserable standing around in the mud with the ribs showing. It's, I've driven by that guy's property forever. And every once in a while, he'll get sighted. And this is the latest. He got, he got caught, I guess, 
disposing of the carcasses within 100 feet, 150 feet of a waterway was one of the other things he was charged with. Yeah. Anyways, this guy belongs on our top 10 (laughs) (laughs) worst people of the world. Ooh, this would be another one to add to your top 10. I think you might want to talk about our uh, Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke and latest news. Oh, yeah. So uh, (laughs) Dateline Whitefish, Montana, a foundation established by Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke and headed by his wife is playing a key role in a real estate deal backed by the chairman of Halliburton, our old buddies Halliburton, (laughs) the oil services giant that stands to benefit from any of the Interior Department's decision to open up public lands for oil exploration or challenge the standards for drilling. A group funded by David Lessar, the Halliburton chairman, is planning a large commercial development on a former industrial site near the center of Zinke's hometown of Whitefish, a resort area that has grown increasingly popular with wealthy tourists. The development would include a hotel and retail shops. There would be a microbrewery, a business first proposed in 2012 by Ryan Zinke, for which he lobbied town officials for half a decade. So that's one thing that stays consistent in our current administration is money. Mm-hmm. Money, money, money. They have all this, these cultural issues that they bring up all the time that get all of us ex- upset and nauseated. But the real bottom line here is always about the money. How can we cash in? How can we short-circuit environmental regulations so we can make more money, more money, more money? That's the, that's the bottom line here. And looks like Ryan Zinke's right at the top of the heap. Yes. Didn't we come up with a nickname for a particular uh, building that's used for disposal of human oh, waste? Oh, that's we right. Call we them had a re- Zinkies? Re- yes, we had a renaming <laughs> ceremony along with Epic. That's right. <laughs> that was a good time. That was. Everyone's using their Zinkies. We visit our gorgeous yeah. public land. <laughs> the public land. <laughs> okay, well, let's see. Next story. Well, let's talk about the Great Redwood Ooh, Trail yes. Act. Yeah. You know, this one's got pretty much unanimous support out there from from most folks. It's SB 1029, known as the Great Railwood Act. And most environmental groups have signed on for it. The NEC has supported it. You know, it's it's a good idea to turn those rails into trails. I, I don't have a problem with that. But I thought one of our allied groups, California's Against Toxic Sprays, Katz, mm-hmm. who was a plaintiff against the North Coast Rail Authority along with Friends of the Eel River, has taken a little bit different tact on this. So I thought I ought to at least let the public know that they're It's not that they're against SB 1029, but they're not avidly supporting it either because it doesn't emphasize or even mention toxics despite Kat's efforts to get some foundational language in the bill. And, of course, on a non-institutional level, it's a good thing, but the South Fork of the Eel is right alongside the, the tracks, not only the bed of you know, the bed of the tracks, but making it much more expensive to do any kind of 
remediation along there. Mm-hmm. So th- part of this is being done to conserve the the tracks for a future potential excursion rail. You know, if California has a, a few billion dollars to throw <laughs> at it. And also involved in this is Doug Bosco, our old congressman from way back and the longtime booster and supporter of this debacle that was the North yeah, North Coast Rail Authority. Mm-hmm. So anyways, Katz has some problems with 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 this and, and they're not they're not alone. I, I'm concerned about how the trail will be maintained. Is this going to be teams of backpack sprayers walking along the trail all the time spraying herbicides is that is that how this is going to be maintained i think we need to protect that from happening mm-hmm. especially in the sensitive watershed of the the eel river sure sure so bears more looking into i still support the concept of turning the rails to trails but as with all things in life, there's there are some downsides that need to be looked at. Mm-hmm. Yep, we got to look at all sides. Oh, right. So my group in Trinity County Safe has been involved in challenging CDFA's chemical treatments that they do around schools and public places with no notice and no no even posting after the fact. So they come in and they spray the lawn in front of the school or the parkway or whatnot. And they, so anyways, we won this case in court against CDFA and the judge basically shut them down from doing these types of spray projects. Well, CDFA's found a loophole and that was we, of course, let them be able to do it in an emergency. Well, they're now declaring everything to be an emergency. And especially in Southern California, they're spraying for a particular pest down there that they're doing this every year. So how can you call it an emergency if this pest emerges every single year? It's not really an emergency anymore. No. And they need to do full environmental disclosure. And they, at a minimum, need to, need to post these where pets and children are having access to these grounds. Right. Right. And and being unknowingly exposed to these dangerous neurotoxins. We're going to, I believe, pursue a second case against CDFA to stop them from declaring everything an emergency. Right. Have more guidelines on what they can actually call an emergency. Exactly. Yeah. Well, in some good news, the Forest Service released a press release earlier in June of a study of nearly 50,000 children in New Zealand and found that those who live in greener neighborhoods are less likely to develop asthma. However, not all greenness is a good thing. Children living in areas with non-native plant species or low plant diversity were actually at a greater risk of developing the chronic lung disease. The study is the first to indicate that plant diversity can protect against a specific adverse health outcome and is published in the journal Nature Plants. So native plants have more than just intrinsic value then. Sounding like that, yep. All right. Well, this is the first time we've tried this sharing news stories with you. We hope to do it on a monthly basis with you here. If you have suggestions for stories, please contact Bella at the NEC, and we'd be glad to put up put up that story into the mix. That's right. You can reach us at 707-822-6918. 
822-6918. And this has been the Eco News Report with Larry Glass and Bella Waters. And we've been your host for the past half hour. You can find more information about the issues we've discussed on the NEC website, which is www.yournec.org. And if you'd like to replay this interview or share it with others, you can go to the public affairs page on the KHSU website at khsu.org, where these programs are archived for two weeks after they air. Previous shows are posted on the North Coast Environmental Center's website at yournec.org. If you have any questions or comments about this program, please call KHSU's listener comment line at 826-6089. The Eco News Report is produced for KHSU, located at Humboldt State University, in cooperation with the North Coast Environmental Center. Many thanks to Fred McLaughlin for engineering. Join us again next Thursday at 1.30 right here on KHSU for the next Eco News Report.